Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Ashes week is finally here. The first test at Edgebaston's just a couple of days away now, and we'll hear exclusively from England vice-captain Ollie Pope and Stuart Broad. Australia prepared for the series with a thumping 209-run victory over India in the final of the World Test Championship. We'll be joined by cricket writer Barrett Sundarason to look back at that game and discuss a potential selection headache for Pat Cummins' team. England have also named their squad for the women's ashes. We'll get reaction from their head coach, John Lewis, and we'll discuss county cricket scheduling in the 2023 season, not for the first time, with one team playing seven T20s in the space of 10 days. So plenty to come as usual here over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, Captain Ben Stokes has been doing a phenomenal amount of media and I have to say a lot of it has been fascinating. Just when you think you can't possibly uh, hear anything new from uh, from Ben Stokes, he, he, he's he been riveting. He's done some really long interviews, one particularly interesting one with Nasser Hussain, in which he admitted that uh, the likes of Sir Alistair Cook wouldn't probably have got into his team and a few others as well. You know, England legends, England stalwarts. He he said, "I have to be honest. Um, that's not the way we play cricket." And 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 again, and there was another interview in which he said he was asked, it may have been by Nasser again, "Would you declare leaving Australia a chance on on the fifth day to to lose the Ashes?" And he said, "Yes, I wouldn't be true to myself if I if I didn't." He said, "I'm going to go out there and win and try to win every single game at whatever cost." That's being true to myself. So the idea that he would, you know, two one up, that was the question, two one up in the ashes, would you give Australia a chance on the last day? And he said, yes. He's been box office. He's not disappointed, has he? He's enjoying ramping the the whole, it's not a circus because it is, it's a massive series, huge series. And it's hugely important for a whole number of reasons. Not only, you know, test cricket's on its knees. This series could save test cricket. So because of, all that he's made the right noises, said the right things. He, he said about some legends not getting in the team. They would have gotten in the team. I've got no doubt Alistair Cook would have played for England. He might have had a bat differently, but Alistair Cook would have got in the team for England because he's Alistair Cook. He's proper proper batsman. You know, Jonathan Trott was the other one. Jonathan Trott was one of England's best opening batsmen in one day cricket. When he, he, he so he, he could hit it. He just. Yeah, we had it. We had. We've always had this perception of red ball cricket being dull and boring, and you've got to block it. You've got to play for five days, and it's like Ben Stokes is going. No, you don't have to play for five days. You're given five days to force a result. You don't have to win in five days. It can be winning two days if we can play the right brand of cricket, and that he's, he's just completely changed the the sort of ethos of what Test match cricket is all about. So I've got no doubt. 
Jonathan Trott would have played cricket for England. I've got no doubt Sir Alistair Cook still would have scored over 10,000 test runs for England because they were top, top players and they would have found a way, like Ben. So Ben in this series will find a way and will have to go through passages of time in this series, batting a completely different way to the way he's batted over the course of the last 12 months. But that's not if he does bat 150 balls for 100. He's not sort of saying, I'm not being true to myself by batting this way and I'm contradicting what my plan is. It's not. I'm doing everything I possibly can to win the test match for my country. And this is what this this thing needs now. And I think that's what he's trying to say is that we are going to try and win every game from any situation. And that's what he's going to stick to. And if it comes down to it and he feels that 320 on the last day against Australia is the right thing to win the test match, he'll go and win it by declaring and saying, right, my team's going to bowl you out. More <laughs> okay, often not, he'll chase all... it. More often <laughs> not, he'll want to chase it rather than yeah. bowl at it. <laughs> Just before we hear from Stuart Broad, as correctly predicted by you last week, before uh, Mo and Ali's inclusion in the squad was confirmed, there have been reservations. Um, Michael Atherton was one that uh, wrote uh, a, pr- a pretty compelling piece in which he, he reminded everybody that Moeen, I mean, his comments were very strong when Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes tried to talk him out of retirement to go to Pakistan. His quotes then were, I look back and I know why I'm done. I, I you know, I, I thought about it and you know, I'm absolutely done. Test cricket, that chapter's over for me now. And while it is easy to see all of the boxes that he ticks and why Stokes and McCullum want him back, are you convinced that it's the right thing? He'll turn 36 during the first test. Yeah, I'm 100%. It's, I still, I'm 100%. You know, he's not coming... Mo's not coming back for a period here. He's just won the IPL. You know what I mean? He's not coming back to get paired. That, that sometimes is normally when bad decisions are made because they're made out of financial gain. This is not a period here for Mo and Ali. You know, this is his best mate, one of his best mates, asking him to come out of retirement because... What the countries give you, we could do with something back. Not we, not saying we could do with something back because he's give back. He's won the World Cups. When you know he's been an Ashes winner. So for me, as long as Moen was in the right frame of mind to say yes, which I think he's a very level-headed person. He's a very honest character with his own assessments of himself. I've been in his company many, many times, and he's a he's a wonderful human being, and he is somebody who's always honest with himself. So. Put that into the mix. I think it's the right decision for Moen to come back if he's in the right frame of mind. I understood what Michael was saying. I think, yeah, you're right. Made great points. The record against Australia, when he was last played against Australia, at the start of the trip, he split the he split the um, his index finger where he's, he's spinning finger. And I think if you ask any spinner, Graham Swan used to have trouble with that during my time playing with Swanee. It is a horrendous. It's a little cut on your finger, and you go well. That's not much, but actually as an off spinner, a finger spinner, it's massive because it never heals. It's always got a little blister and a callus on it. it you never get a chance. It always split. And so I think that along with the, the, the sort of COVID stuff that was, was going around at the time, I think I can see why mowing was done. This time it's different. And when Michael said about the Pakistan not going to Pakistan, it's a different time now. Moen had enough of a bubble situation. He was unlucky when he was in the taxi with Wokes on the way to Sri Lanka, then in India. So from, from that point of view, there's a lot of there's a lot of water gone under the bridge since that the conversation between Mo and Ali, Brendan McCollum and Ben Stokes about going to Pakistan. I'm surprised he said yes, but once he said yes, it's a no-brainer because if he's saying yes, he's saying yes for the right reasons. Because he feels as though he can he can be a force in this Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullum era, uh, an era which I think there's not a, another time that's suited or not many players best suited than Mo and Allian. What an option it would be, him coming at number eight. Absolutely. I was just about to say, he's a born baseball cricketer, isn't he? And he just wants a taste of the action before it's too late. OK, let's hear now from England fast bowler Stuart Broad, who's been speaking exclusively to talk sport ahead of uh, the start of the Ashes series. He was at Lord's a couple of days ago with uh, Laithwaite's Wine, who are a brand-new partner of England Cricket. And here he is speaking to our very own Scott Taylor. So, Stuart, thanks for joining us. You're at Lord's today. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. 
Yeah, I'm here with uh, part of the England cricket team's partnership with Laithwaite's Wine. Cricket and, and wine have got a, a lot of history and it's fantastic to be here at Lords, the home of cricket, where we've just finished a test match against Ireland and the next cricket here, well, the next cricket we play is, is obviously the Ashes. So uh, a really exciting couple of weeks coming our way um, and uh, really looking forward to it. You've had a long day in the field bowling. You don't see the dressing room after the game. White, red or rosé? I'm a red. I'm a red drinker. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I must admit, there's there's no better pleasure for me than a nice uh, Sunday roast, roast beef, um, and red. some red wine. Yeah, that's uh, that's that would be a perfect day off for me. Let's talk about the cricket. You just had you alluded to the Test match there. Five for in the first innings. You was there any pressure on yourself internally heading into the Test, given the inexperience of the bowling lineup around you? That I have to perform here, make a statement ahead of the summer. No pressure. No, I, I, I definitely knew I wanted to try and lead the attack as well as I could, and and how I look to do that is, is just talk all the time, communicate the good things, talk about what I felt the pitch was doing, and actually uh, that first morning, uh, I I didn't feel like the wobble seam was going to get much. It felt quite a, a true pitch, but as soon as I held the seam up straighter and looked to swing it, it did move. So just communicated back to the guys that I felt that that swing was probably going to be the danger um, rather than wobble seam just trying to sort of learn from the conditions as quickly as I possibly can. And it was great we picked up 20 wickets in the game. Um, it was a really convincing test match win and played in exactly the style that we're wanting it to be played in. You know, aggressive, entertaining, good run rate, taking wickets. And uh, I think anyone who came to watch would have really enjoyed it. And it did come at a cost, unfortunately, with Jack now missing the, in the entire summer with a stress fracture. This you know, he's been for a lot. How much sympathy do you have for, for Jack? Yeah, I'm gutted for him. Gutted for him. Yeah, I, I, the news took me by surprise. I saw him at breakfast on, on Sunday morning and I, I don't think anyone sort of suspected there'd be a stress fracture in the back. Uh, those things grow over long periods of time and just got worse throughout the test match, really. So devastated for him on the eve of an Ashes series. You know, I've, I've had injuries in Ashes series before and it's it's really tough to take but we just have to get around him as a group support him all the way through and give a lot of backing to whoever replaces him just a couple more on the Ashes itself you've obviously had your comments about the previous Ashes series they've ruffled a few feathers over in Australia do you sort of take that in your stride that's all part of the Ashes and would the Ashes be what they were without that needle between both those sides uh, I think it's it's not just needle between the teams I think it's just a bit of needle between the the, the countries Australia and England it's uh, it's a great rivalry over over hundreds of years um, it's cricket that you get drawn to it's cricket that you get brought up on I think that sort of small circus pre-series is always really enjoyable you know one of my heroes Glenn McGrath was always saying it was going to be five nil Australia, and that was just sort of a mental play that he would that he would use. So yeah, you know, I I love the the drama of of the Ashes series, um, but ultimately none of that really matters when the first ball goes down, and and um, both ta- both teams will be will be right up for it. Talk to me about your relationship with David Warner, because throughout the Ashes series, it seems to have been pigeonholed. You two, you had the best of him in 2019. He's come out. In an interview last week, said he has a lot of respect for you on and off the field. But what's your opinion of David? I guess in battle, it's you're there to take wickets, but off the field, after the game, have a beer in the changing rooms and, and get on again, I guess. Yeah, you know, he's he's been a legend of uh, of Australian cricket. Anyone who gets playing near playing 100 test matches for their country has been a great servant to to their sport. Um, and you only do that by having certain characteristics, and, and that's generally huge competitiveness huge drive to deliver under pressure uh, a winning mentality and someone who who drives the team forward and I think you'd you'd probably tick those boxes for for the both of us so we we've had a great rivalry over many years um you know probably started in 2013 and and you know he he caused me a lot of damage as a as a batter um and he's such a such a dangerous player when, when he gets going so we know he's a crucial wicket for Australia and always will be while he's still playing the game and you know all of our bowlers will be switched on to to the dangers that he possesses and uh, and aware of how we look to to get him out because there's no doubt he will change his game from 2019 conditions will be very different we're playing much earlier in the year 
and you know he he he's been a, a fantastic servant for Australian cricket uh, and brings great drama to Ashes series. Do you worry about the future of the Red Bull game with the rise of franchises? You you probably you got more international teammates playing together, so there won't be that much needle when it comes to international cricket. Do you worry in 10, 15, 20 years' time the Ashes will look a lot different to what it is now? Hard hard question to answer. I mean, certainly the rise of franchise cricket is is coming and noticeable and and probably changed in the last 18 months as quick as uh, the history of the game anything's changed in the history of the game really and for me you know as a player you just want players to have great opportunities to to experience and and give fans entertainment and there's no doubting that that the IPL brings amazing entertainment allows players to play under pressure uh, allows supporters to to experience wonderful moments. You only have to look at the IPL final where Judeja went six four to to win it. You know you you smile and and you bring smiles to fans' faces with cricket like that. So that's what Ashes cricket's done for for the history of time um, since it's been going, and and I hope we'll continue to do that. And there's space for for it all. You know, T Twenty Test match cricket, uh, and there's certainly hunger within the players to to play all of it. You talk about the preparation heading into the Ashes. There's a golf trip this week, and time's gone by. That probably wouldn't have happened. Just how much fun is it being part of this side? You saw on, in the Lord's Test here, you're all wearing bucket hats, something that wouldn't happen a couple of years ago. And just how important is the golf? And for you, having Annabella and the restaurant business, just to switch off between Ashes tests, I guess. Yeah, I mean, these, these test matches come thick and fast now. You know, we, we've got five and six weeks pretty much. So having switch off time is really important because there's not much of it. And I think our whole culture is based around entertaining um, and having fun. And we train really hard when we're, when we're on. But when we're off, it's important that you, you get your little breaks when you can. And, and golf's a part of that socializing having barbecues spending time with each other spending time with your families is really important so you know we've got 25 days playing time in the next in the next period of time add on plenty of training days with that there's not going to be much spare time to relax so when you do get that you need to you need to make sure you are just quickly quick fire question when are you going to be more nervous with the ball at the top of your mark in an ashes test or in the first tee at the PGA event in September one hundred percent at the BMW uh, went with it that um, that is a petrifying experience uh, I don't really get nervous for cricket anymore I just I just really enjoy being out there and I, and I will enjoy the BMW once that first tee shot's out of the way that's England fast bowler Stuart Broad speaking to our producer talk sports Scott Taylor at Lords as England cricket partnered with Laithwaite's wine well apart from uh, his revelation that his perfect day off is uh, a roast beef Sunday lunch with a glass of red wine. What else uh, caught your attention that Stuart said? I can think of a few fast bowlers on a wine tasting contest, a uh, wine tasting afternoon. We've probably not been able to give an interview until the next morning. I remember I remember once on the National Academy, me, Rob Key, Andrew Frintoff and Mark War, Warwickshire batsman, we got, we got asked a big limo into McLarenville, We'll do an interview of, I can't remember who it was for, in the afternoon. And they sent a car for us 9.30 the next morning to do the interview because when the interview was turned up at one o'clock, we couldn't speak. We couldn't stay. We, the old wild test and, you know, spitting it out. Big lads from the northeast didn't really spit that much out, to be <laughs> honest. So I can think of a few fast bowlers who probably wouldn't have been able to give Scott Taylor that great interview. But Stuart's brilliant. He really is. I feel... Honestly, I feel not awful, but I've got to be realistic. I've got to say that he probably just doesn't make the team. He just doesn't make the team. I think he knows that as well. I think some of his comments, I think Stuart knows that. He says he's not going to go off on a rant and he's not going to rave if he isn't in the team. I think he will play enough part in this series to be a force, which I think is good. That's what the short period, the short space of time and the five test matches, England need a... You know, some good backup, and I think Stewart's probably just missing out over Ollie Robinson. Great on the comments about Warner. It'll be interesting to see if if Stuart Broad and David Warner ever play against each other. Because if by the looks and the reading the Australian press, if Stuart might miss the first test match, but if David Warner doesn't get any runs in the first test match, Broad could play in the second test match, and Warner could be missing out. And that could be his career over. So there's loads in when you, whenever you speak to Stuart, there's always loads in it. Um, he looks right up for the challenge. He looks fit. 
We've seen it at Lords against Ireland. Um, he's still putting in match-winning performances. Um, and I'm sure he'll be ready, if need be, um, because there could possibly be a time during this series where Broad, Anderson and Robinson play together. And I think there could be a chance in this series that England, because of no Ben Stokes bowling too much, England could possibly play four seamers. So I think there's a lot for Stuart Broad in this series. Yeah, well, Stuart did say that if he plays one or two test matches and makes a contribution towards an Ashes winning campaign, he'll be happy. And you know what? It actually it looked absolutely like like he meant that. And while he was uh, singing David Warner's praises, it may have been my imagination, but I'm sure I could detect the sound of teeth grinding. as he was. Uh... <laughs> anyway, OK, let's uh, kick off immediately. Uh, with England Vice-Captain Ollie Pope. He's also been speaking to TalkSport's Scott Taylor on behalf of Radox, uh, another new partner of England cricket. So, Ollie, thanks for speaking to us on TalkSport. You're down at Lords today. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to. So, yeah, here, here today at Lords, obviously, with uh, Radox, uh, official partner of England cricket. And, yeah, it's been a good fun morning, obviously, sun shining, and uh, what a place to be in the summer. I spoke to uh, Jimmy and Johnny who were also representing Radox last week, they both said they're Radox men. Now, pressure's on. Are you a Radox man? I'm a Radox man, especially with uh, the bath products, actually. Uh, the, the soaks, I think, the, the muscle relaxes. And, yeah, so no, I'm, uh, I'm a fan. They're giving me a little goodie bag as well, so that's going to be extended further. Oh, nice. Hopefully there won't be too many long days in the field this summer. For you yeah, exactly. Oh, unless I'm batting. Then. <laughs> let's, let's talk about your batting, actually. You had a double hundred at Lords against Ireland. You feeling in good nick heading into the Ashes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good. Um, I think that's exactly the preparation that I got everything I could out of the week. Um, feel good within my game. Obviously, I think scoring runs is a habit. And obviously at the home of cricket in an England shirt in front of a packed house. So no, really good feeling to get that. But no, it's put me feeling good rhythm with the bat, feeling good nick, and then hopefully just top up before next, next week. And uh, yeah, hopefully can manage to continue that form throughout the series. Now, this is your first Ashes series at home. How does it compare to the other preparation compared to other series, I guess? Exactly the same. Probably just more more talk about it, to be honest. Um, we, we go into every series trying to win every series, and that's no different now. Uh, obviously, just when you're playing against Australia, you know, there's a, bit, there's a bit more on it. There's a few more faces watching, and it's important for us to try and sort of forget that. And we, we all appreciate the Ashes, and we know exactly how much it means to... Uh, to England cricketers and Australian cricketers and the fans. So, but that, that doesn't, we're going to try and sort of play in the same manner, prepare in the same manner. And then hopefully by the end of it, we can really, really sort of be happy with where we're at and hopefully yeah, win, win the Ashes, of course. Mm. It was a tough time last time down under in your first Ashes series. What do you think you've learned from that as a player moving forward to this, this series? Yeah, I think I've become a better player. That was a good sort of turning point for me, I think, in my career as a, sort of shot me back down to earth a little bit. I sort of, I, it was a tough series. I obviously a very good side out there, but I feel like I didn't give my best account of myself. I tried to sort of tinker with my technique too much during the series and and uh, and probably let the sort of occasion of an Ashes get to me a bit too much, was too focused on other things, not just the small, simple things. So I think that's probably my big learning points. And yeah, I feel, like I said, I feel like I'm a better cricketer than I used to be uh, and ready for, hopefully ready to deal deal with this challenge. Is it more so off the field as well, the expectation? Because when you first came into the side, there was a lot of people saying you're going to play 100 tests for England batting free. I can't imagine that must have been quite hard to deal with that expectation. Yeah, it was probably just that extra little bit of pressure for me. Uh, it wasn't a pressure because I agreed and I felt like I could do that. But I was like, why am I not scoring my runs? And Probably just, yeah, I think it takes a while to learn test cricket, I think, for some so sometimes. And there's not there's not many young cricketers who come in at the age of 20, 21, 22 and just crack it straight away. You go, you're going to go through ups and downs in your career. And I'm, I'm playing good at the moment, playing some nice cricket over the last year, and hopefully I can continue that. And there's going to come a time where I'm like, oh, man, just need to find that form again. So I think it's just important to just try and stay level as you can and just try and cash in when you're really playing well. You talk about the last year. Can you imagine it's been as fun as it has been a year ago when Ben and Brendan first came into this group? Yeah, I guess I started off not knowing whether I was even going to yeah. play to So obviously now it's just to be but England's number three is a pretty cool feeling. Um, but yeah, we've had so much fun. We have we have fun in the build up to a test match. We have fun during a test match, and uh, it's uh, 
everyone's just we, we all sort of realise we're so lucky to play for England we're loving every bit of it and sort of want to hold on to these special moments that we made over the last year or so and hopefully yeah we can make some make some more this summer and that's what we've really spoken about as a team and what we're really enjoying What's the biggest thing that you've learned over the last year under under Brendan? It's probably that enjoyment in the game a little bit and that kind of reflects in your performance like, don't go into training sessions think oh, I need to hit them this well and I need to hit this many balls and train this much just go in thinking oh I can just have a have a real I'm going to really enjoy this week take it all in enjoy enjoy the build-up enjoy the crowd enjoy it all and then and then the results are going to follow but now those guys have been those guys have led from from the front and they've set an amazing example and he's obviously experienced it as a player himself so recently so I think that's probably that's probably really helped his messages sort of feel feel true to us and come alive to us. Was it, was it quite surreal at first when you when you came into this side and normally traditionally to get ready for test series you play warm up games you hit a lot of balls but you guys were off playing golf I mean were you a bit like aren't we supposed to be netting here guys Yeah a little bit uh, but I think he sort of allocates that time so we still get the same amount of net time we just meet up earlier as a group to to get that sort of golf in, to get the team bonding, to get the team having a laugh together. So then come come the time that we're off to training, we're having a lot of fun and we're sort of feeling real tight as a unit and we're, we're excited for, for training, if that makes sense. So I think that's, it's well thought out. It's not just go play golf. There's, there's obviously logic logic behind it. I know you're a keen golfer yourself, but how, how important is the golf then, especially during the Ashes series where there's a lot more pressure in an Ashes series to just find a day or two here and there just to get on the golf course, forget about it for a bit. Yeah, well, no, I love it. Uh, I mean, getting just getting your mind away for four hours is great. I think it's perfect. You get to switch off from from cricket for a bit. You get to worry about. I get to worry about my dodgy swing, uh, and just yeah, no, I just really enjoy four hours. Irrelevant of if I've scored a hundred or five or zero the the day before, I get to sort of immerse myself in something else, which I think is important just for for any sort of human being just to completely switch off. Just a couple more. What does the Ashes mean to you? I imagine your first series might have been 05 or 09. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the pinnacle for me. I think Test cricket is the pinnacle. Uh, and in Ashes cricket, there's obviously just that bit extra. And it's so special being able to put on an England shirt, turning up to Lords on a, on a sunny day, any of these grounds and seeing people roll in. And it's just such an honour to play for England, especially in this format of the game. Um, so I think firstly, that's, an, that's obviously very special in itself. And then, yeah, that extra extra bit of, of oh, this is an Ashes series just gives you that extra bit of buzz about it. So now there's obviously so much history behind it and just so much excitement around the group going forward. That extra pressure, yeah, you said gives you a little bit of a buzz. Is that the same for the vice-captaincy? Gives you a little bit of a a boost heading into a test series? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's much to it for me. It doesn't change anything. I just try and sort of be a bit more vocal with my opinions with Stokesy when we're talking about things. So no, look, it doesn't doesn't add too much on to what I have to do in the test match week is just try, try and sort of provide a different angle for him. And it, if anything, just gives you a bit of extra confidence during a during a test match because you're, you're the vice captain. But look, yeah, I, it, I'm not really letting it affect how I go about my test match week. And just finally, there's a lot of talk about Ben's knee. If, if the worst were to happen, how excited would you be by the challenge of captaining in an Ashes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fingers crossed, Stokes no, is all yeah, good, his knee's all good and he stays on the park. But if 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 required, then I feel confident and ready enough to sort of get be prepared to to do a good job for, for him and, and, the, and the team. I've watched him closely over the last sort of year or so and and look at how he sets fields and all this kind of thing. So I think, yeah, hopefully if, if it does get to it, then yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be ready. It'd be a big honour. Um, but yeah, like I said, fingers crossed he's all good. It's England vice-captain Ollie Pope speaking to Talk Sports Scott Taylor on behalf of Radox, a new partner of uh, England cricket. England know who their best talkers are, aren't they? I mean, we had Stuart Broad and, and Ollie Pope's also a, a tremendous talker. He doesn't seem intimidated by the, the prospect of having to take over from Ben Stokes, and and I find it intimidating, and I'm a million miles away, literally and metaphorically. But he seems very calm, very cool, very laid back. I think demonstrative of a man who believes that even if he does have to captain the team on the field, he won't really be the leader. It'll still be the it'll still be Ben Stokes, even if he is on the balcony. Yeah, you might see the Hansi Cronje Bob Wilmer with a, the earpiece in all over again. It was brilliant. Yeah, great interview. He's a good speaker. He's getting more and more, for me, he's getting more and more impressive. Not only as a as a cricketer, but as a young man. He's looking as though he's got 
he's buying, sort of buying into this you know leadership role um and he's going nicely he said that you know he's he's unfazed by it i tell you what the tap on the shoulder by ben mccullum and ben stoke and say off you go there's your hat there's your cap there's your blazer go and toss the coin i think he might there might be a few nerves then and you think his backside might be going then will young oliver but i think all in all I, I, he looks as though he's just having a great time, like them all. You know, even Zach Crawley, who's had a bit of a struggle, they look as though they're having a great time. You know, they're off in Scotland playing golf. They did the business against Ireland, off up to Scotland, enjoying themselves, some of the pictures you see and see some of the social media reels you see. And that's what you want, because when it comes down to it, man, as for me, is in pressure situations, you look across the room and you go, who's with me? A lot of comparison to 2005, and as we sit here now, it's on it's on my TV. It's some of the moments in 2005, and I go, well, every single time Michael Vaughan said, "Who's with me?" I I don't think he had any at any one point did he see the back of somebody's head. I don't think at any one point he seen somebody not not with him or not with the group, even KP at times. But when Ben does that, I think they're all with him, and I think. When Ollie, if Ollie does have to take over, I think they'll be all with him even more because that when you're away making memories like Ben and Brendan are trying to get, you get a lot more people getting closer together because that not siege mentality, but they are they're more than they're more than teammates now. They're friends. The closeness in the group is massive, and under pressure and in tough times, that tends to come out. And I think that's why if Ollie Pope does take over as captain for one, two, four test matches. If Ben gets injured, I think you do a fantastic job. Okay, just a reminder that uh, England um, have uh, wrapped up their uh, Ashes preparations by playing golf at uh, Loch Lomond, which seems to me all the motivation you would need to get into the England team if um, if that's the way that you prepare <laughs> for an Ashes campaign. I have to ask you about Andy Flower. Andy and I are both the same age. Um, we've known each other for 30 years. I regard him as a, a good friend. Do you know what? Through, I mean, yes, we're in the ultimate professional era now where there is no such thing as loyalty. But I couldn't help wincing. I just instinctively winced when I read that Australia had added into their backroom staff. I mean, as, as a consultant, I couldn't help wondering whether they had purely done it to try and irritate England. But for all Andy achieved as, as head coach of England... I'm surprised he said yes, to be honest. I mean, he's got six full-time franchise gigs around the world. He's doing extremely well. Nobody's ever got, in, in the world of cricket anyway, no, one, no one's got enough money. But he, he doesn't need the extra bob or two that Australia would be chucking him. And um, and I know that it's it's kind of counterintuitive, and I shouldn't have winced, but I did. Yeah, I did. I was surprised as well for exactly what you what you say. He's got a lot on like Gary Kirsten going, do, not Gary Kirsten doing against South Africa, but Gary Kirsten doing against India. You know, can you imagine Gary Kirsten working for somebody against India in India? I, I don't blame Andy for doing it. You you want to be out there. You want to be involved in the best series. And if there's no sort of commentary gig or other you know radio gig that you can get in the series, you know, as a former player, the best place to be is in a dressing room. So English cricket has done a lot for Andy Flower. And people will throw that in. But my answer to that would be and Andy Flower's done a hell of a lot for English cricket as well. So I think it's gone hand in hand. They've both benefited each other. I'm surprised they said yes. But when it was announced and there was all this hoo-ha about Andy Flowers in the Australian dressing room, I was like, well, he is, but he's not going to bat five for them, is he? So <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not in the way the world is, like you mentioned before, about crossovers and what you can see. I'm not sure Andy Flower can give this England, this Australia team much on England or the surroundings that they're going to be in because there's that much scrutiny and that much information out there. It's not like in 2002 where Nasser Hussein took a whole suitcase full of VHS t- uh, tips to watch Shane Warne ball after ball after ball. You can get that in five minutes pressing a button. So I'm not sure what Andy Flower can give other than a little bit of confidence to the Australian players, but... You know, okay, here, here's, here's... I'm going to answer my own question. So Pat Cummins was asked about Andy Flower's appointment, and he said, well, um, he's a very knowledgeable guy. He was a brilliant cricketer. 
Um, he can sit in on team meetings and if he's got anything to add, all the all the better. And if he doesn't, then, you know, no worries. So I've just got this picture of, of Andy listening intently in a team meeting with his arms folded across his chest and at the end of it saying, mm, yep, I think you've got everything covered. Now, where's my check? <laughs> exactly. So great payday, to be honest. And I think it's a lot. I think a lot of you look at that Australian backroom team. There's a lot of experience in there, not from, you know, you've got Flower in there now. You've got Daniel Vittori in there, I think, who's in there. You've got Michael DiVinito, who one of the best cricketers I've ever played with, one of the greatest men I ever played with, um, who understands English system, uh, Captain uh, Captain Derbyshire, Captain Durham for a bit, played for, you know, a couple of counties, coach Surrey, so... You know, they've got experience covered across the board and obviously with Andrew McDonald. But like I said before, there's you can only lead them to the water. You've got to, you know, they've, they've got to drink it. And I think that is where this is. And it's interesting that Australia bring in experienced characters and information in from a coaching point of view. But Brendan McCullum goes the other way and he throws them out because once a test match starts... I think it's only Triscothic, Collingwood and Patel, I think, Jeet and Patel, who are left in with, with Brendan McCollum to manage the group. And I think the support staff are, are moved to a, the, the other side of the building or even out full stop and they don't even get involved. So to declutter the dressing room, which is, I think, uh, McCollum's got it right that way. Less people involved, the better once the game starts. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll look back at the World Chess Championship final as Australia prepared for their ashes with that huge win over India at the Oval. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. And it's that part of the show that I've been so looking forward to, as promised, we're joined live by Barrett Sundarason to uh, reflect on uh, the final of the World Test Championship and obviously look ahead to the Ashes as well. It was a commanding performance, um, Barrett, by by Australia. Uh, lots of talk about um, them preferring to play golf in Liverpool rather than play <laughs> a, a practice match, and, and and about the you know the various parts of the world that they came from. But cheap as it all pulled together pretty well in the end. 
It certainly did, Manas. And I'm glad you called it a commanding performance because a lot of Indian fans in particular, going into day five, kept talking about this having been this fascinating test match, so closely contested. Well, as the fascinating bit I agreed with, but closely contested, maybe not so much. Not when you have had one team make 469, end up with a lead of 175, uh, and then declared to set a target of 444. I think Australia uh, dominated this game. Um, if not for their own indiscipline, I think they would have finished this game off much earlier. Uh, they should have bowled out India much cheaper in the first innings than they did. Uh, but even eventually, 209 runs, the margin kind of sums up how comprehensive a win it was. Yeah, Barrett, I think that you're right. I think it was a, a comprehensive win by Australia. But there's still some question marks in that top order. That one and two in England, there's still a question mark. Do you see that changing or do you see that at least getting one, possibly two test matches, Warner and Kawaja? Look, uh, you have to um, realise, Stephen, that Usman Kawaja is making a comeback to test cricket in England. He's had 18 fantastic months since he returned to the team and started opening the batting. And this is the first time he was opening the batting in England, uh, in English conditions. And his old issues came back to haunt him. The fact that he does hang his bat out to outside off stump quite a bit. And he's one of those modern left-handers who gets troubled more by the uh, right arm of bowling over the wicket than round the wicket. The angle away from him just pushes him even wider. And we saw him get out to uh, Mohamed Siraj in that fashion in both innings. So that will be a bit of a concern, but we saw him in India as well. He started off slightly... I mean, he didn't look very good in the first test or so. But then he came back so strongly in conditions where, you know, there were so many question marks about him that he couldn't play spin. So just the 18 months he's had, uh, Stephen, there's one reason I'm convinced that he'll, he'll come good. Dale Warner, I thought, looked good in the first innings. Uh, but then again, fell in the second innings. Um, to a kind of dismissal, we're getting used to uh, seeing a lot from him these days. But having said that, you're talking about two openers, Warren, uh, what, nearly 36, 37. So that rope can't be too long, especially if you're David Warner. You still the smart man by throwing the ball into the selector's coach by saying, look, I desire to retire in front of my home fans in Sydney. Now, whether he gets his wish or not, we find out pretty much in the next two or three weeks. Okay. Um, yeah, I spoke about uh, David Warner's um, proposed retirement plans extensively last week. I'm just going to play a little clip of Mitchell Stark here and then ask you about that um, afterwards. Certainly tough decisions. I think you've just seen the way that, that Scotty's bowled here and what he offers. I think the beauty is that we, we all offer cert, certain things and no one bowls the same. You obviously got Michael Nessie around as well and Sean Abbott. We've got a good contingent. Much like we did last tour here, we picked attacks based on the on you know the grounds or, or who we're up against as well. So whether that's a, another plan of attack, I'm not sure. Um, the fact that we've got six guys and two six quicks and two spinners around the group at the minute um, leaves options open for, for no matter what they want to do. So, yeah, you know, Josh is, is getting himself right for that first test. I think he's having a trial tomorrow. Scotty, the way he's bowled throughout the summer and then certainly this week, definitely makes it a hard decision as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a good problem to have. OK, that's Mitchell Stark talking about competition for places amongst the fast bowlers being all good and healthy. Barrett. So um, I've got other questions to ask you, but uh, just in case we run out of time, I need to, <laughs> you're grinning. <laughs> you know what the question is coming. Now, I, I enjoyed, really enjoyed your piece on Crick Buzz, uh, uh, talking about Travis Head and Scott Boland um, and about how they've been at the forefront of, of leading Australia's charge into the World Test Championship final. There was another very good piece as well um, about Mitchell Stark and and how he could have been approximately $10 million wealthier had mm. he played franchise cricket. Um, but he he wants to play for Australia. His great love and desire is to play for Australia. And I'm marrying the two together and coming to the conclusion, possibly, that Mitchell Stark sacrificing all this franchise money to play for Australia, he could actually lose his place to Scott Boland for that first test at Edge Baston. Or, or, I mean, if Hazelwood plays... Well, that's that's the conundrum, isn't it? You can't leave Boland out now. You just can't. I, I think, you know, for the longest time, it's been a question of who does Boland play in place of? I think that's changed uh, manners. It's Pat Cummins, Scott Boland, and then who? 
so do you want to stick with Mitchell Stark? And I think Australia will stick with Mitchell Stark. Look, he's a very different Mitchell Stark to what we saw in 2019. And that was a period where there were doubts about his bowling. The, the then coaching staff wanted him to be more defensive as a bowler. That never worked out. He's gone back to being his aggressive self in the last two or so years. And it's worked for him. But having said that, what interests me most is the fact that he bowled first change in the second innings of the India or India's second innings. And he did that in Manchester in 2019. And in a way, and Stephen Harmison is a fast bowler uh, on this show. So yeah, he'll tell us, uh, he's in a better position to tell us about the Duke's ball. But if there is this belief in Australia that the Duke's ball, unlike the Kukubura, takes a while to start swinging. So maybe the first change option works for start. And I almost see a scenario where as even if Josh Hazelwood is fit, ball in place ahead of Hazelwood in that sense, and Stark keeps his place on the side. Because the one thing with Josh Hazelwood is, unfortunately for him, his body just has not held up well enough in test cricket. That's why he's missed so much test cricket in the last 24 months. Uh, and like we saw in 2019, Australia might just go in with Bolin, Stark, and Cummins in that first test in Edge Baston. Yeah, the Hazelwood one for me is, a, is an interesting one. I personally, Barrett, I'd keep him for, for loads. I think mm. his line, his length, using the slope, a lot like Big Glenn, my era, would be something I would look at. Do You're talking about Boland, and I'm, I'm intrigued by this Scott Boland because of the way England have played. Is there any concern in this sort of Australian side that because Scott Boland is so accurate, so line and length, that he could go the journey against these England batters? Because what they've done over the last 12 months under Stokes and McCullum. Anybody, doesn't matter how fast the ball, if anybody's been lying in length and decent on accuracy, mm. England have gone at them. And they've gone at them in different ways. You know, I'm thinking of Joe Root, third ball of the second over, Tim Southey in Wellington. He's trying to reverse sweep them over the slip. Now, this will happen. You know, ben Duckett's looking to square cut off the stumps, trying to put the bowlers off. And that's what's been happening. Boland is somebody who bowls a good length, an aggressive length, but it seems to be that's what he does. Is there any concern that England might get after him? That's a very interesting point, uh, Stephen. And you know what Rohit Sharma did to Scott Boland in the second innings? He didn't I mean that he played that false shot against Netherlands and got out. But the fact that he was walking across his stumps and then covering his stumps and allowing himself the opportunity to hit Scott Boland through the onside. That was the first time I saw a batter do anything out of the ordinary against Scott Boland. I mean, as fantastic as he as he has been since his test debut in the last Ashes, no batter has really challenged him. And like you correctly said, nobody's really tried to hit him off his line and length. But even in that brief spell where Rohit Sharma did that, you could see that Boland, like any bowler, had to change what he was doing. And I think England will uh, target him in that fashion. Uh, but, you know, having said that with Scott Boland, he's just having such a dream run that maybe we will find a way out from there, like we saw against uh, him do against Virat Kohli. But he did get rid of Virat Kohli because Virat Kohli allowed him to dictate terms, which, like you said, the English batters won't do. And that is another fascinating aspect going into the rashes. And finally, Barrett, I'm just going to play a quick or a short clip here from Pat Cummins talking about uh, defining a legacy um, if they were to become the first Australian team to win the Ashes in England uh, for 22 years. So let's hear from from Cummins. Whether we like it or not, Ashes tend to define you know eras and teams. I think the great thing about this final is we feel like we played awesome cricket for the last two years, and being there at the end holding the trophy feels really well deserved. Um, so that that's great for our team. And yeah, you know, in a way, Ashes they're bloody hard to win. I think it's been twenty odd years. So yeah, it's not going to be easy. But you know, if we were to win it, that's yeah, that is legacy defining things uh, stuff. Yeah. It was Pat Cummins uh, talking about the fact that Australia haven't won the Ashes uh, in England for, for 22 years. I just want you to have the final word in this section, obviously, because you're our special guest. Uh, so you can either give us a score prediction. Uh, I mean, I am actually really interested to know. <laughs> Not necessarily a score prediction, but who you think might win. And, and uh, yeah, tell us why and where. Where are the key battlegrounds? Uh, and this has nothing to do with me having just filled up my citizenship application and I'm hoping that Australia is <laughs> in charge of listening to this. But the only reason I'm going to tip Australia is uh, it's a very different Australian team to what we saw uh, maybe even before Pat Cummins took over. They don't panic very quickly, 
go back to the Leeds test uh, when uh, Ben Stokes went after them four years ago. They panicked and we saw them panic. We've seen them panic many times on day five. Just how they went about things uh, yesterday at the Oval in the lawn, the final day of the World Test Championship and also the way I saw them play in Pakistan and even uh, during uh, times in, in India. It, it, it fills me with confidence in that sense that they won't panic even if England do go you know, hell for leather like, like they will. And what will really decide the, the fate of the series is what kind of pitches we get. If England do go flat, like Ben Stokes has said, allegedly, and all the reports seem to claim, then I think they might actually play into Australia's hands because I'm not sure, as good as Anderson and Broad are, whether the English attack has enough firepower to roll out this Australian batting lineup on a flat pitch. And I think one thing Australia have in the batting lineup, which a lot of other teams that England have beaten uh, don't have or didn't have, are two very greedy and selfish batters. And uh, and I say that in the most nicest and positive way, Steve Smith and Manas Labuschi. And you give them a flat pitch, they'll just book in for bed, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and, and not get out. And uh, even if England make 480 overs, yes, there is scoreboard pressure. But Australia have so much time to come back into the game. And that's one reason I just strongly believe that uh, if they go that way, I mean, they go very flat with their pitches, uh, they might well play into Australia's end, regardless of how well England are playing. Barrett Sundarason, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. It always is. And I know that you're like the third busiest man, or will be, during the Ashes, <laughs> but I do hope that you can spare us a few minutes from time to time during the series. Absolutely. I can't wait to do that. You know me, Manners. I'm, I'm, I'm always available to you and Stephen Armisen. <laughs> <laughs> That was Barrett Sundarason, cricket writer and broadcaster. And a reminder, you can hear updates from the Ashes, throughout the Ashes, with John Norman on TalkSport from 10.30am on Friday morning. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. And on the subject of uh, Durham, opening batter Alex Lease um, has uh, been highly critical of the scheduling of the T20 Blast this year. And... It is extreme. I mean, you know, there there are some truly extraordinary. Essex playing seven blast games in the space of 10 days. Sussex played six games in eight days. My beef with the scheduling, Harmy, is that it's too much cricket. I don't have the personal experience to say how much of a strain and a toll it takes on the body. Different for the Durham players, because they presumably have got many, many hours on the road. Uh, so, so you know that 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 makes a huge difference. But playing six games in eight days or seven games in ten days, from a physical playing point of view, is that is that excessive? Is that taking a uh, putting an excessive strain on the body? I think it is when it comes to the shortest format because of the, the explosiveness that you have to use in your body, i.e., the game's faster. You know, the, I know the game sh- the game is shorter, but the game's faster. There's more energy used, mental energy, than you know, you've got to be more explosive with your bowling. I know you're only bowling four overs, but you're still bowling at you know high intensity, and there's a lot more can go wrong on that front. You look at five games in seven days. Well, if you're a player test match, you know you play <laughs> five and five if you if you want to really, and you and the game and the days players three times longer than the one that you're already playing. So you can look at it that way. But when you look at somewhere like Durham, as an example, and we're making Durham as the example because it's the captain, Alex Lees, who rightly so makes the point. The amount of travelling that we that Durham had to do, that's excessive. And when you look at the got off the bus at one o'clock in the morning, and then you on a Friday, you know, early hours of Saturday morning, and then you're in it, you know, middle of the Saturday afternoon, to practice because you've got a four-day game starting on the Sunday the next day, then I think you're, you're right to flare up that the scheduling needs to be looked at. But we've all not, we've all known the scheduling needs to be looked at. We all know there's an elephant in the room. We all know that until they get a compromise between the right amount of championship games with the right amount of blast games and the right amount of 50 overall London games that fits around the 100 because it's not going anywhere – then we're always going to have Alex Lees. If it's not Alex Lees this year, it'll be James Vince next year. If it's not James Vince next year, it'll be it'll be somebody else from Warwickshire or wherever. I think the ones that are geographically challenged are the ones that this period in time in the calendar 
hurts them most. And I think that's where you have to have a bigger squad. They haven't got the money for a bigger squad. So because of that, it's so important that we start listening to these players because it's not a moan from Alex Lees. You know, it's a realism. The realism, you know, the realistic challenge is we've got to get on a bus. And we get uh, if we're getting off a bus at one o'clock in the morning and practicing at some point the next day because we've got a four-day game starting the following day, that's not that's not fair. That's not great for our bodies, the actual product itself, and how we can deliver the best product we possibly can. And then all of a sudden, from a, a mental point of view, if you have five games in seven days and you're on a bad run of form, where you where you're gonna hold on? Let's just recoup. Let's get you know tech stock. Can then you get, start sort of reflecting on where your game goes? If you're on the bus, if you're on the bus four out of them five times, and you're eating dinners from motorway sort of service stations on your way to a game, that's what you know. That that for me is where this this current structure really needs to be addressed and looked at. Just seems. Uh... Ironic to me in many ways that, uh, it, you know, it, it looks like the ECB have engaged in a kind of constructive constructive dismissal of, of the blast by squeezing it and marginalising it and, and uh, almost sort of manufacturing a situation in which fans become disillusioned. And it seems to be having the opposite effect, this crazy schedule. But the blast still seems to be loved as much as, uh, as it always was by, by the fans, even though they... You know, I can barely keep up with their team, let alone afford tickets for every home game. Anyway, let's move on to um, the women's Ashes. England have named their 15-player squad uh, for the Ashes. And here's head coach John Lewis talking about a subject he's uh, very familiar with, how difficult it is to beat this current Australian team. We're going to have to play our best cricket. You know, we're, we're, we're very um, aware of the quality of the Australian side. Um, we're very aware that they're a formidable opponent. And we're, we're really keen to probably try and disrupt the flow of their game. I suppose that's the best way to put it, um, by playing the game uh, the way that we want to play it. So if we can dictate the play more often than not, then I think we've got our best chance of beating the Australians. But like I said, we're, we're incredibly aware of the challenge that lies, lies ahead of us because they've been a very dominant team over a long period of time. So England women's coach uh, John Lewis. A couple of new caps, Lauren Filer and Danielle Gibson. That's good. Um, I haven't seen her, but Lauren Filer apparently has uh, got real genuine pace. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, it just, uh, you know, it is important, isn't it, to, to, for all those players, younger players, to know that there is a place in that squad, that it's not a closed shop. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And it's good to see two new faces in the uh, in the squad. I think Lauren Filer will, you know, really push to get a game. You know, that Catherine Brunt role that's going to be hugely missed. You know, Izzy Wong, somebody who probably as quick as there is in in the women's game. So Lauren Filer adds to that seam bowling attack because it's a huge hole. No matter what you say, it's like taking Joe Root out of England's middle order. Taking Catherine Brunner out of the England cricket, England women's cricket team, it would be like it would be like Joe Root coming out of the England men's team, and that's that's how big and you know shoes to fill that that whoever steps into them shoes, it's it's going to be a daunting task. And the daunting task is Australia are a phenomenal side. They're a side who are head and shoulders better than anybody else in the world, um, and you need an element of luck. And you know, England look as though they've picked a, a good fifteen balance. Um, and one that can challenge on all fronts because obviously it's different to the to the men's format. It's not just five test matches, bang, there you go, there's the Ashes. There's the one day as the T20s and, and the test match itself, which stands along, which is, I think, England have got to hope that little rub of the green go their way, um, favourable conditions, because you know, they're going to have to play unbelievably well. Australia have to be a little bit off and and hopefully... Fingers crossed, John Lewis's John Lewis's teams get the rub, uh, rub of the green, and that fingers crossed happens. And but I, it should be a, a, a more even contest in English conditions if the if the obviously the, if if they get the rub of the green goal their way. And finally, um, Sri Lanka have left out Angelo Matthews from their squad for the World Cup final qualifying tournament, which takes place in Harare. That is a fascinating tournament. I know that it's going to be overshadowed by the Ashes and and so many other things. Now, I don't know whether you've looked at the two groups, but they are seeded. 
So the West Indies and Sri Lanka head Group A and Group B. Um, the West Indies have got Zimbabwe, the Netherlands, Nepal and the USA. We don't expect the Nepal and the USA to, to seriously challenge there. Sri Lanka head Group B, they've got Ireland and Scotland and Oman and the UAE. If there is going to be a massive, massive upset and one that could possibly spell the end of meaningful international cricket in the Caribbean, partly because Durham had the good grace to allow Baz de Lira to play for the Netherlands. I've got a big soft spot for the Netherlands and I hope they do well. Um, Scotland and Ireland are both deprived of all of their county players. They, they would not get a release. But I, I have a slight fear for the West Indies there. I see Zimbabwe being a real threat in their home conditions. And if the Netherlands can spring a surprise against uh, the West Indies, then they, they could struggle. But I don't know how much attention you've been paying to that tournament, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. It, it, it always comes down for me, the West Indies, no matter what competition they're playing. If they start well, nobody can touch them, even the big boys. If they start well, get on the front foot, West Indies boss things, even against England, Australia, whoever. If they start poorly and it becomes a shambles and then it's 15 individuals who have got no interest in playing for the West Indies rather than their own islands, then it could be, you're right, it could be the end of cricket West Indies as we know it. I think... You look at the the recent games they've just played, didn't get overly encouraged by some of the players. One that was playing in it, and the numbers that that was uh, that was being made. So they've got some new faces, some younger faces, and they will want to impress. But for me, it's all about the West Indies and their start. If they win the first game and they win the game comfortably, blow three hundred on the board and a few wickets, Alzari, they've got because they've got a decent bowling attack. If they can get a few wickets and make a big number and win the first game by 100 runs, then you'd back the West Indies to go through. No, but no question. If they get beaten that first game, then they might as well come home now because I think then that's when <laughs> that's when the water will come in and it seep through. Sorry, sorry, Harmi. Okay, the, the final thought I, I want to get from you now is I am beginning to wonder how I'm going to you know get to sleep at night with three days to go before they actually start. I, that's how excited I am. And I know that you you probably feel the same. And and I know that there are, there, you know, 100,000 or a million people who are in the same boat. They're like, what am I going to do for three days? Uh, you know, the ashes are upon us. And I. So my question to you is, what do they do for three days? How do they get to sleep? Don't tell me they drink eight pints of lager. No, they're not going to do the eight pints of lager. They might go back. They might continue to play golf. You know, you might see, they might be playing the belfry. You know, practice, finish, jump in a couple of buggies, go and play golf. I would encourage them to do that. I really would. And I know for the simple fact is, can you get away from it? What What's the biggest advice you'd give to these guys? Well, how quickly can you get away from it when the, the last day of the test match finishes to the next day, the, the first day of the next test match starts? Can I get away from the noise? Can I get away from the pressure? You know, if I'm doing well, can I, you know, can I keep that positive mindset going by just relaxing? If I'm not doing so well, can I just get out of it full stop, go away for a day or two, come back and bounce back into it? So for me, if I was these guys, the meetup on, I think the meetup Monday, you've got to, you know, you've got four days. I think two of them days, the first two, go and tee off at six o'clock at night, get nine, 10, 12 holes in. Because these all guys, all the guys love to play golf. And can I get away from the noise? What's going to be buzzing around Birmingham? Because come sort of late Tuesday night, Wednesday, there'll be a lot of people in the city who are there for the Ashes. Come early, getting ready for... And that will noise will, no matter what hotel you're in, that noise will filter through to where you are. And then the pressure starts. So for me, can I get out of it as quickly as I can? And then when the business time starts, put myself back into it. And that, for me, will be the difference possibly because they're so tight, this t- these groups. That could be the difference between the team getting refreshed and ready to go again as opposed to where might trip Australia up, going around the country on a bus and never being able to get out of Ashes fever and Ashes mode. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed 
now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Tuesday to look back at the first Ashes test between England and Australia, which you can hear updates on, of course, throughout uh, the day, throughout all five days, if it goes five days, on TalkSport. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.